Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Rajni Chakshi, the author of the young adult novel, The Star-Touched Queen, and its sequel, A Crown of Wishes. Her latest book is the middle grade novel, Aru Shah and the End of Time. It's the first book in the Pandava series, as well as the first book in the Rick Riordan Presents line of books drawn from myths and stories from underrepresented cultures. Arusha and the End of Time is being published in March by Disney Hyperion, which is sponsoring this podcast. In the novel, readers meet 12-year-old Aru, whose life in Atlanta takes a big turn after she accidentally releases a demon known as the Sleeper after lighting a kind of a lamp called a Dia. The Sleeper's goal is to waken Shiva, the god of destruction, and it soon becomes Aru's goal to prevent that from happening. After meeting a pigeon guardian she nicknames Boo, Aru learns that she is one of five reincarnated Pandava brothers, and she gets to know one of her fellow Pandavas, a smart girl named Minnie. The girls gain some powerful new weapons, and they'll need them as they come face-to-face with some larger-than-life creatures and demons and try to stop the sleeper. Thanks for speaking with me, Rajni. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. So I know you know this book and this series was one of the very first acquisitions for this Rick Riordan Presents line, but um, based on our own coverage PW, it sounded to me like maybe you'd already been planning to write a series drawing on Hindu mythology. Is that at all right? Yeah. Well, I mean, my first two books are, you know, they get their inspirations from Hindu myths and Hindu folklore, but there's something very specific about the Bandava brothers who are the heroes of the Sanskrit epic, the Mahabharata. And I just love them as characters because you know they're they're demigods they each have these powerful fathers like the god of the wind god of death um god of the heavens and there's so much there to unpack both in how they interact with one another how they deal with themselves how they question what villainy and heroism really means and what it looks like that i've just i've just been dying to write this story and i'm so glad that i got the opportunity to do that with rick riordan presents hmm. did you feel like the, the the pandava brothers maybe were because of there being five of them or some other aspects of their their personality and, and abilities that they were a particularly good maybe entry point uh, for readers who don't know anything about Hindu myth, I guess, readers of of this age, you know, a middle grade audience versus the young adult audience of your previous books? Yeah, I think so. I, I think you know, there's a, a lot of the stories that we know from Hindu mythology come from the two main Sanskrit epics, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. And I think that there's something about the journey of these Bandava brothers. They're these exiled princes who have lost a claim to a throne. It's a political intrigue story. It's people trying to find their way to prove their worth that feels like any other coming of age story in many ways. And I think a lot of kids, me especially when I was growing up, could relate to that, that sense of this is mine and I've earned it and I've got to show to the world that I deserve this. What is your own history with these myths and stories? Are they ones that you've completely grown up with your entire life? Yeah, I have. So I grew up in a mixed race home. My mother is Filipino and my dad is Indian. And when I was growing up, you know, my parents didn't want to confuse me or my siblings by speaking two languages to us. So we only spoke English at home. And the way that really, really connected to our heritage was through these fairy tales. And my parents would give us so many fairy tales. Unfortunately, they wouldn't give us the uh, the abridged stories. So I would like go to first grade being like, you know, the Little Mermaid dies at the end, right? And like, But uh, it, these kinds of things, like these stories, the way that you see these cyclical narratives, I really, really latched onto that. And when my grandmother and my parents would tell me stories um, from the Mahabharata, 
I just loved how magical they were and how how magical these things were accepted. You know, like you walk into an ocean and, oh, look, a sea serpent's there. And nobody's freaked out about this. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we know Josh. You know, like that kind of thing. I just, I really loved it. It's a fun world. Well, you, you clearly made the choice to make the Pandavas uh, girls in, the, in, in these books, at least, you know, the two that we meet uh, here in this story. Um, can you talk about that decision and why it might have been important for you? Oh, yeah. Well, this is for a couple of reasons. I think boys get a lot of the adventures and girls don't. And that made me really furious. And I, I wanted to reclaim a part of that. And another reason um, that Aru and Minnie and the rest of their sisters are girls um, is because I really loved Sailor Moon growing up. I loved this story of sisterhood and friendship. I loved that these girls' relationship to one another was stronger than the evil that they faced. Their friendship was more important than the boys they might fall in love with along the way. And I really wanted to show that story of a female empowerment. Um, and another interesting thing about the gender, particularly in the Mahabharata, is that it's a lot more fluid than one thinks. Um, you know, there's multiple translations and interpretations of the Mahabharata. But there is at one point, uh, Arjuna, who's one of the main Bandava brothers, is cursed to become a woman for a year. And there's another character in the Mahabharata who comes back as a boy, in their next life when they're reincarnated. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of fraught interpretation of whether or not someone's a girl or a boy, uh, if they're a transgender figure. Um, and Hinduism allows for all these things. Uh, one of the avatars or reincarnations of the main god Vishnu is of a woman, Mohini, the enchantress. And nobody really raises their eyebrows at this. So I thought, you know, if a god can turn into that and if Arjun can turn into that, why not have all five brothers be girls in this retelling. Hmm. It's funny you mentioned Sailor Moon. I feel like I could almost get a little Sailor Mercury vibe from Minnie. Uh, oh, totally. I'm so glad you caught that. <laughs> <laughs> Aru, you, you've given her a very sharp sense of humor in the books, and Minnie is maybe comparatively timid, but still very smart and capable. Did you want uh, the girls' personalities to sort of dovetail with aspects of the Pandavas they represent? Was that something you were trying to do or in terms of matching up who these girls were with the the, the brothers they are reincarnations of not particularly um and i think that's because in the mahabharata stories we get very broad strokes as to these characters they are fully developed characters but i never i at least i don't remember reading anything like arjun was extremely cunning uh, but i think aru is and i wanted to take what i thought would be each of those bandava brothers strengths arjun as a visionary the mini character she's a reincarnation of yudhisthira as someone who is very morally astute and just reinterpret what that would look like in the modern world. So I guess a little bit, but I didn't try to stick too close to the source material in that sense. And, you know, I'm sure like with any sort of mythological source, there's just a wealth of uh, characters and beings that you could, you could draw from, uh, you know, beyond the Pandava brothers, were there certain characters or deities or events that you, you knew you wanted to try to use or reference? Oh yeah. Um, and I think readers will see a lot more of this minor immortal characters that you see from the Mahabharata and the Ramayana in the future books, uh, like Urvashi, who's this famous celestial nymph um, and who has a lot of stories and poems about her. She is actually the one who curses Arjun um, to become a woman for a year. Um, <laughs> and she got mad at him for rejecting his advances, her advances, which is kind of funny. But yeah, I mean, all of those characters... 
almost all of them in Arusha and the End of Time, I can trace back to a story that I read somewhere or a story that my grandmother told me. This might be a, kind of a flip side of the same question, but um, the details on a lot of myths from different cultures can actually turn out to be quite dark and kind of upsetting when you go back and look at them a second time. Um, did you find, you know, as you were sort of maybe diving back into some of these stories and you know, looking at things, were there moments where you thought, well, we're, we're definitely not going to mention that? <laughs> you know, I thought about that, but I think that, I think readers can handle these this, these depths. Because um, one of the most beautiful and traumatic things about the Mahabharata is that it's a story of a family feuding with one another, you know? But um, the other thing is there's this crucial moment where Arjun is about to fight all of his loved ones. And he's standing there and he's thinking, how can I kill these people that I love? And what is supposed to guide me now? Um, and it's something that I'll explore later, but that's a very, very dark point in the poem. Um, and it's one of the reasons why when I was growing up, we were always told, do not read the end of the Mahabharata inside the house because you are inviting strife into the family. Um, and, and that's like one interesting quirk I've noticed when I've talked to a lot of friends, like, you know, did when you read it, did your parents tell you like not to read the end of it inside or, or not to read the beginning inside the house? And it's fascinating the kind of answers that you'll get about how to read this deeply sad story. Hmm. Well, I guess along the lines of, you know, younger readers being able to handle that sort of thing, um, your previous books were young adult novels. Was the experience of putting together a middle grade adventure, how did that compare? They are both so much fun to write, but very, very different in tone. Um, with The Star-Touched Queen and A Crown of Wishes, I wanted to play with a fairy tale format. Um, and... I remember that I was kind of careful about what aspects of myself I would put into the Star-Touch Queen and a Crown of Wishes, um, th that kind of thing. Um, and it, it's different because those are both standalones. I mean, a Crown of Wishes is technically a companion book because it's about the main character's little sister. So writing them and having this fully-fledged journey within each book was emotionally cathartic and that was really nice because I knew that it was like I was done I could put it away and it couldn't hurt me anymore as much as I loved it um, and, and writing Aru has been a really different experience because I'm trying to, to draw out moments in the story like how long is this joy going to last how long is can I make this moment stand out that I can return to it later on in the series kind of thing um, and also it was really fun for me to write because in a way it was like middle school fan fiction because middle school's miserable and I was a lot like our own middle school I was always getting I was always lying or getting trapped into something that I probably shouldn't have said just because I wanted to, to make myself seem way cooler than I was um but you know I never got powers or a lightning bolt so oh well can't win them all, especially in middle school. I know, alas. <laughs> <laughs> and you said all three books are sort of pulling from Hindu myth and fairy tales and things like that. Do you feel like fantasy or, or in, in aspects of the fantasy genre are what you're chiefly in interested in as a writer, at least for now? Absolutely. I think fantasy is where we get to explore some of the ideas that truly scare us. And I love that we can filter them through that. And I think that's what makes mythology and fairy tales so addictive to us as readers they tell us how to interpret the world they tell us what to care about in many ways you know you think about the heroes um, and heroines and fairy tales and myths 
and it is always like good will prevail i know that this is dark but that means that there must be light as well and they're just they're like comfort food uh, so absolutely i i love writing fantasy and, and with this book, were you were you conscious of trying to strike a balance between explaining parts of these stories and characters to, for, uh, to readers who aren't familiar with them, but also not wanting to alienate kids maybe like yourself who who have grown up with them? I did my best. I know that one of the amazing things about now is that we're seeing so many stories from very similar traditions, and what we're seeing is that one story cannot tell cannot speak for all of them, and I really truly believe in that. Um, and when I was writing Aru and with, you know, my other books as well, I come out this from a perspective of diaspora. I do not know these stories in the way that someone who is perhaps a native speaker or someone who was born in India would understand them. And I'm okay with that because I think these are still my stories and the way that I interact with them and the way that I make them my own is me telling my own truth. And it was it was really, really fun to write Aru and to see what points needed to be expanded upon. Like, where should I explain more and where should I explain a little bit less? And that's where, you know, the editorial team at, at Disney. So I had the brilliant Steph Lurie and the amazing Rick Riordan reading these drafts over and just being like, you know, pause here. Think about this here. What does that mean? Or And I just, I loved it. It was really, really fun. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I was curious. Uh, so it sounds like Rick did have some hands-on input as the book took shape. Yes, he did. I got to tell you, I was I was freaking out when I got the document that had his notes in it because he left a ton of notes. And I was like, oh my God, Rick Riordan hates this. That's It's the end of my career. I'm just going to set myself on fire at the end. Um, but it was fine. A lot of the notes were LOL, which, which was great. And then, <laughs> and just incredible insight. I mean, he was a middle school teacher for years and it's really, really great to have someone be like, to tell you from a middle schooler's perspective, they're going to call BS on that. So this is how you might want to restructure it. And he just, it was great insight and also always reminding me that the story is my own and that he's here to help me and all the other authors that they've required of like that they've acquired. Um, it's just, it's wonderful. And is it right that this is going to be a four book series? Yes. Okay. And, and what stages are you with uh, the, the next uh, things coming down the, the pipeline? Uh, I, well, since we're recording this, I am so on top of everything and life <laughs> and I floss twice a day. Um, and, and yeah, now you have that on tape. Perfect. I see what you tried to do there, John. Very clever. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, well, beyond the Arusha uh, series uh, or the Pandava series, um, are there other projects you have uh, in the pipeline, things you're working on that you're able to talk about at all? Yeah. So I have my next young adult series that's coming out in winter 2019. It's called The Gilded Wolves. And I'm so, I'm just loving writing these books books so much. The Gilded Wolves is like set in 1889 Paris, which is the era of La Belle Epoque, which means the beautiful year. But it's also the time where you have these world fairs that are capitalizing on their colonialism. And I really just wanted to play with that context of what would happen if you make cultural appropriation its own magic system. Uh, so that's been really fun. And I love it. Excellent. And then as far as this one, you know, any... Um hopes or plans to get out there and uh, talk to some kids, see, see folks uh, when, when this book does come out in March? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we'll be announcing tour dates soon. But I just, I 
I've been already getting so many positive responses from readers and educators and librarians and uh, from my little cousins as well, who were like 14. And actually, they were all over for um, our family reunion. We were celebrating 50 years in America since my Mm. grandfather immigrated from Gujarat. And so it's like all of us stuffed in the house in one beat up arc of Arushan, the end of time just being passed around. And I just, it's the most incredible experience. I'm, I'm so thankful for all of it. Amazing. Well, uh, you know, congratulations again on this book and uh, thank you for speaking with me. Yeah, thank you so much for having Once me. Once again, I've been speaking with Rajni Chakshi, whose new book, Arusha and the End of Time, is out in March from Disney Hyperion. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. <laughs>